Welcome to season two of the Do More Good podcast. They gave us a second series. Oh, don't tell anybody. You need to kind of just go fast and seize those opportunities. We have no access to any kind of finance whatsoever, but I am drowning in brown <laughs> If your people aren't lined up behind why the change they're trying to make is important, nothing happens. What's the difference between work and home life? It doesn't mean you have to be on 24-7, but you have to be receptive to inspiration. Here we are, back for season two, and we're pulling out all the stops for the difficult second album. Speaking to you from 20,000 feet, get us. We've loads lined up for the next few weeks. Not only will long-term listeners be pleased to hear updates on my bank card location, pub reviews and Blue Peter anecdotes, but for new listeners, we have a great lineup of interviews from both within and outside the sector. Before all that, we have a special bonus episode for you from the Scottish Fundraising Conference. We're flying up to interview some speakers, chat to the organisers and report on the gossip from the awards. Wish us luck. So I've made it to Scotland and I have found Danielle, who half of her job is working for the IOF Scotland and has helped to arrange a conference here. And she's going to be introducing me to a few delegates and speakers and sponsors. Hi. Yes, welcome to Glasgow. It's actually sunny for once. We've got it out especially just for you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. So as I said, kind of half of your job is at the IOF? Yes. So my position is made up of two part-time positions. So half of my role is with IOF Scotland, working with all of our fabulous groups and volunteers up here, making sure the office runs smoothly, that kind of stuff. And then the other half of my job is with the Scottish Fundraising Standards Panel as the panel secretariat. So I'm the only staff member there and we adjudicate on fundraising complaints in Scotland and also try and promote good fundraising standards. So a very varied job. Yeah, but you are clearly the person to know at this uh, this conference. <laughs> there is isn't there is nobody you can't introduce me to. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> so could you tell us a little bit about the conference? Yeah, definitely. So this is actually the biggest Scottish fundraising conference ever. So insert boom noise. Record breaking. <laughs> so yeah, so that's fantastic and we're really, really happy about that obviously because last year was a massive record breaking year for us and we weren't sure if we could beat it but we well and truly have and it's fantastic. So we have a fabulous conference committee up here who are all volunteers with IOF and they are amazing. They do all of the hard work and then we tend to just come in at the end and Take put the, the store together. Yeah, yeah good for you. <laughs> and how many, but it, it seems packed I mean, yes. we snuck away to a kind of quiet corner but it's packed out there. So we've got about 450 individuals over the two days. Could be more now. We might have had a few last minute. But yeah, it's fantastic. Just It's the second biggest one that the IOF does, obviously after the National Convention. So we're very proud of that. And an award ceremony tonight as well. Yes, we've got the Scottish Fundraising Awards tonight. So Good. lots of glitz and glam and probably a few glasses of wine. Excellent. <laughs> I've managed to blag my way in through a back door oh, into fantastic. that award ceremony. <laughs> so yeah, we might, we might see if we can do some recording from there. So what do you hope that people get from this? What do you want kind of delegates walking away with? So I think the overriding thing is just the networking. Obviously, the sessions are fantastic and you can take away some great learning from the sessions. But I think this the beauty of having 450 fundraisers together in one place is just something that doesn't happen very often at all. That's why we only get it once a year. Um, but yeah, for everyone to be of like mind and all these fabulous fundraisers in Scotland and in other parts of the UK as well that come up, just to have all those brains together, I think, is fantastic. You can almost see the sparks in the room. Yeah, and who, kind of, of those big brains, who are you looking forward to seeing speak? 
Yes, so I'm really excited actually for some of the panel sessions. So on day one, we've got a diversity panel, which I think is going to be really interesting. And then tomorrow there is a standards panel, which I am a bit of a governance geek, so I'm really looking forward to. There might be a few sore heads after the awards. Yeah, I imagine sure. so. Um, but there'll be lots of things all about standards and also we'll be talking about the um, ongoing code consultation that the fundraising regulator have at the moment so that's very interesting at the minute so Brilliant. there'll be lots of good things coming out of that alright well should we go for a wonder and see yes, what we can find see. So, Danny and I have just caught up with Virginia Anderson, who just gave a fantastic presentation. Um, We've just caught her while she's been signing autographs and taking selfies. Her 20-year journey in fundraising led her to Head of Fundraising and Communications at Bobath, Scotland. She is the trustee for the Centre for Contemporary Arts in Glasgow, and she's on the exec committee for this conference. And you just spoke on the strategy for growth for small and medium-sized charities. Yes, indeed. I think we have a very different challenge from folk who work for the big guys. Less money to raise, but a whole different kind of responsibility and a very different set of kind of resources needed. Yeah. I work for Sue Ryder, so I kind of consider us a fairly kind of large-ish, mid-sized yep. charity on, on the larger side, maybe. I found it really useful. And so what we're going to try and do is take the lessons that you taught me over the past hour and squeeze it into the next five minutes. So Danielle also missed out on this one, so she's going to be learning it. We'll yes, see if we so can get please, in. if I can have a five-minute brief, that would be perfect as well. That's all we need. <laughs> We've got a list, it'll be fine. <laughs> So should we start with what keeps you up at night? What keeps me up at night? I am responsible for 85% of our organisation's income. If I don't do my job, there is no centre, there is no help, there is no service for people with cerebral palsy. And I feel the weight of that. Yeah, so Um, that's probably, as you were saying, the difference between what you do and the larger charities. I I think so. And I don't mind bearing that weight, but for me, getting strategy right for a smaller organisation is about cutting the crap and understanding what you do actually need to worry about keeping it simple and getting it to a point where you can you can live with that responsibility and you can do so kind of relatively comfortably and you did run through quite you had a long list of points to keep it simple was probably the first one i think you talked about keeping it simple is kind of critical the other thing i would challenge anyone to do you have to be able to tell me what your organization does showing need impact and what the solution is in seven words or less would be my first challenge so Bobas Scotland helps people with cerebral palsy live better what is yours get that statement right and also having a question that focuses you on everything so for example I and we do this even at our board meetings is it's this what people with cerebral palsy in Scotland want and need if what you're planning or what you're doing doesn't meet that need or respond to that question then you shouldn't be doing it and for me, you can build strategy from there. And, and you were talking about you know, remaining focused on that and not disappearing off down you know, the rabbit holes and Googling yeah. various different things. We do. It's very easy to be busy. It's not so easy to do the right thing. There's a lot of people, and I'm guilty of it too. I, have, I lose mornings and days to stuff that I don't need to know anything about. And I should actually just let somebody get on with. But over the bigger picture, you have to be able to kind of stay focused on what it is that you're kind of set up to do and what you're trying to achieve because it's very easy to do the easier stuff or the noisier things. There are times we have to step away from that and do the bigger, scarier, crunchier, harder work. 
because it pays off in the end. You have a great line that I'm not going to take away from you, which is very good. I'm sure it's coming up in a second. But about kind of diversifying your, your portfolio and, and yeah. how, how, you, how oh. you bring in your money. So <laughs> therefore doing things that maybe you aren't used to doing. Yeah. So looking into things that, m- that you're not familiar with. I mean, I'm a great believer in trying to get comfortable with risk and just get comfortable with being uncomfortable. But also we had a look at what we've been doing with our income streams. And so my challenge to people is, is about kind of diversifying their income streams. And actually on our graph, that's about making things more stripey. Uh, so more stripes, more colours and more balance between those colours. So he I've just had a chief stripes. executive tell me uh, that he's going to go back and tell his board about making things more stripey. And I'm quite proud of that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. That, that was what I overheard yeah. as I left the room. The, the people talking about being more stripey. And as you say, <laughs> apparently stripes are in this season. So they definitely are now. Yeah, they definitely stripes are, are good. Yeah. <laughs> and you also talked about kind of taking a step back as well. Yeah, look at I think it's really important and it can be really helpful to understand where your fundraising programme came from. Was it because someone was particularly good at something or because you're, it's what your organisation actually needs? Understanding its history is just as important to understanding where you're heading in the future because it can help you kind of learn what works well but also escape some of the mistakes that have perhaps been made before and understanding the kind of culture of fundraising. It's very, it's very tempting, particularly as a new, newer manager, to come in and change stuff. Yeah, and you had your kind of key plan for when you came in. Yeah. Around, was it three rules? Over, it three, well, no, my, th- my th- first three years, three years were distilled into don't break anything, which is year one, <laughs> don't break anything. Because actually keeping the status quo is quite hard in a first year. And keeping income uh, for a lot of newer managers uh, will find that difficult because change in personnel has a big impact on organisations. Year two was about securing multi-year income and and kind of strategic gifts. And then in year three, we moved into kind of developing our corporate fundraising. Yeah. And you have to build up that trust, whether it's the immediate colleagues, whether it's colleagues across the organisation. So actually just maintaining stuff when you start can be a kind of feat in itself. and But do it and do it well, and you build a really strong platform for considerable growth. And it's based on having done the hard work of understanding what it looks like as well. Yeah, so And it's really worked for you. It From has looks worked those, for us. You know, those stripy yeah. graphs were, were getting bigger. Uh, so our stripy graphs, the, 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 they're all getting taller and longer, and there's more of them, and I'm excited about that. And there's more to come. So we had 18% up in fundraising last year. Yeah. And that's yeah. well, th- there was 18% up last year, and similar sort of numbers the, the year, year before, before as yeah. well. Yeah, so it's good. Amazing stuff. Definitely working. Yeah. <laughs> and then you also talked a little bit around kind of personal tools as well. So what yes. people need to focus on. I am a great believer in what you do outside of work and your attitudes to kind of life in general can have a big impact on your kind of career day to day. So I'd encourage people to go out and be a trustee, use your skills, but learn about other organisations, go and have experiences, meet interesting people because it makes you better at doing your own job. I'd encourage anyone to go and put their own organisation's T-shirt on and go and run a marathon, go and do whatever. And again, I've met really interesting people doing that that I would never have come across otherwise because I found myself in a different group of peers from my day-to-day. And also get involved in stuff. Being part of the conference committee here is a massive privilege. I have learned a huge amount. And I've also built a network of peers that I didn't have before. So, you know what, when I'm having a bad day or if I don't know how to do something, there's someone I can ask. Because I don't have peers in my organisation. There is no other head of fundraising. It's me. And I have a great chief exec, but sometimes I just need another fundraiser to talk to. So I'd encourage people, go out, do all of those things. It will, you will take all of that back into your 9-5 and help you do your job better. So brilliant. 
Well, and it's ended up with you talking on our podcast. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Cheers. Thank you. <laughs> Come over to talk to my favourites. Uh, it's the gang from Just Giving who are here. Some smiling, Hello. Some smiling faces. You have to say that if you're at our stand. I, d- I do. Yeah. yeah, I say it to I say it to all of the stand. But why are you here up in Scotland? So we're here because we get to speak to some Scottish charities that we don't normally get to talk to. See some new faces. See some faces we saw last year. And I'm talking a bit later on as well. Yes, you are. What are you talking on? I am talking on the evolution of fundraising. That's a lot to pack into an hour. But new things in the fundraising market and sort of trends that we're seeing as well on Just Giving. Okay, yeah. brilliant. Should Sounds be good. good. I'll swing by. Thanks. Hi there. What's your name and where would you come from? I am Emma Leeper Finlayson and I am from the Granite City, Aberdeen. <laughs> and what have you seen today that's really inspired you? The corporate fundraising session this morning with Dad and Pike and the team, um, it was a bit of an open heart surgery. We all got together looking at different areas of corporate fundraising, our experiences um, and relationships and best practice and troubleshooting tools to deal with donors and support donors. Nice. And are you, where are you off to now? You I see? am about to go to a community fundraising um, talk, looking at the, the, the trends in fundraising and just how to use that information for, uh, for going forward in our activities. Brilliant. Have fun. Thanks. bump into a couple of guys whose session has gone down incredibly well today. That's very kind of you to say, sir. I'm Jeremy Gould. I'm the head of fundraising at Carers UK. Hi, I'm Darren Pike. I'm the income generation manager at Circle. We live a road apart, so we see each other at all of these sort of things. We do, we do, Uh, but not usually in Scotland. No. This is a first. So we bumped into each other north of the border. How was it this morning? It was good. So we did corporate fundraising open heart surgery today, which is a session we've done a couple of times before at convention. Regular listeners may remember me uh, talking about it some time ago, but we'd never done it in Scotland before. So we said, well, if we've got a good model, let's take it up here and see what works. And it felt good. We had about maybe 50 people and it was really all about sharing your problems and challenges and being very honest and brave with that. Darren, you uh, were running one of the groups. What was that like for you? It was really interesting. I think one of the best things about the session is the cooperation and networking that it engages in. It's not someone speaking to you for an hour telling you their learning and their tips on fixing something, but more of an honest discussion, as you said. It's a place where people can present specific individual problems and get sympathy and then potential networks and connections for future help. But, you know, we'll wait and see what the feedback forms have to say, of course. And if they shoot us down, then we'll never do it again. <laughs> um, so that's the moral of our story. Were there, were there any lessons that came out of the session? Did you guys learn anything? I mean, for me, I'd been told what you have in Scotland is a much higher prevalence of sole fundraisers and people doing corporate and community and events. And so we kind of went into it with that in mind. We knew we weren't going to be working with a lot of out-and-out new business corporate fundraisers. These are busy people trying to work out where do they prioritize this i think we kind of fulfilled that brief yeah i'd agree with that i'm a sole fundraiser myself i have been for a little while and in scotland i think with a much higher number of smaller charities without the speciality you Mm. get people coming in with very little organizational experience 
very little peer support within an organization. And another takeaway is that most of the problems that we struggle with individually, we're all struggling with at the same time. There is help out there for it. And I think that reassurance is really important. If you could have summarized our session with a single film, that film would have been Groundhog Day. We were trying to tell you across Scotland there are people waking up with the same headaches, the same nightmares, but you're not alone. Yes. And uh, we know that's such an important message in fundraising about peer support. And I'd like to finish by saying I am blatantly Bill Murray, which makes yourself Andy McDowell. Thanks very much, guys. Cheers. Thank you, James. Cool. Thank you very much. So we've just caught up with Amanda Brigham's Director of Fundraising at the British Heart Foundation. She previously worked at Macmillan, at the VSO, at Battersea, and started it all off at Comic Relief. Yep. What she doesn't know about fundraising, nobody does, which is probably why she's the chair of the Institute of Fundraising. Thank you very much for joining us. That's all right, James. I'm, I'm glad to be able to talk to you. You did a great plenary session this morning. Thank you. Um, it was really interesting to, to kind of kick off the conference with your own experiences and your, and your history in fundraising. But I'm keen to talk to you a little bit about the, the session you just did, which was on diversity. Yeah, of course. And I think both of us said before this that this is not our area of expertise, but we're really interested in learning more and taking it forward. Yeah. So it was a great session. I loved it because it wasn't, it wasn't a huge session, as you know. Mm. It was a small kind of intimate group of people. And we talked about some really key issues around diversity. And you're right, James, I feel a bit of a fraud sometimes when I'm talking about diversity because up until the Institute started to focus on it, I was always really aware of diversity as an issue that I felt strongly about, but I have realised how little I actually know about it. So leading this work on behalf of the Institute has been the most fantastic thing for me. So you kicked off with some stats around the situation as yeah. we know it at the moment. Should we, should we share those to start Yeah, with? why not? Really interestingly, but I'm sure as we know, because we can see when we look around the room today, 70% of fundraisers are women, but only 27% of the top three roles in charities are held by women. So that needs to change. We need more women in senior roles. Some, some fantastic women are making it through to chief executives. So Linda Thomas at Macmillan, Tanya Steele at WWF, but we need more of those, I think. There are way too few BAME and fundraisers. In fact, there isn't just lower representation than the national average, but lower than the percentage of BAME and disabled people in the charity sector as a whole. And a third of the top 100 UK charities have absolutely no people of colour on their senior leadership team. So the case is really compelling to do something about it. Definitely. And as somebody cleverly pointed out in your, in your session just now, that's just the, the things that we can see. So it's yeah. no, there are no stats there about class, about faith, education, things like that. Yeah. So there is kind of a clear case for mm. Im- improving on that. There is. There, well, there's two cases, isn't there? I think as we've been talking about today, there's a moral case. So the sector has always been about equality, about fighting for the disadvantages, about tacking, tackling inequities of all sorts. And the current situation is clearly unequal. There's a really strong business case. We believe that if fundraising teams are more diverse, that they will raise more money for the causes that they serve. And if you look across the fundraising community, predominantly white, predominantly women, representing so many different colours, shapes and sizes of beneficiaries, and we're just not doing it adequately. We're not doing it effectively, and we could be raising more. So for me, the business case is clear. There was a point made that we represent these groups. Why aren't they they represented 
within our work. Yeah, absolutely. We talked a little bit about barriers to improving mm. diversity. Mm. One of the key ones that stood out for me was the sense that blind people don't necessarily need to work for a blind charity. That They have passions that they're interested in. As we maybe unconsciously meet somebody who's blind and assume they, they work for a blind charity. We need to break that down a little bit. Yeah, and if we look at it from the other perspective, I mean, the, the guy on the panel, Neil, Neil Skeen, he spoke really compellingly, didn't he, about being a person who is blind, working for a blind charity, and how he has found it virtually impossible to get a job in another sector within the voluntary sector. It doesn't even get past interview stage. And I found that worrying, disturbing, and another push for us to do something about that. And I know, for example, at the British Heart Foundation, we have literally only just started to think more broadly about this because we have a fantastically dedicated director of HR who's interested in this. And so we are, we've just recruited our first disabled fundraiser. We've just recruited our first registered blind fundraiser. And I feel now we should have been doing it years ago because it hasn't been an issue. You know, it just has been they can do the job. They were clearly the best to interview. We're just going to recruit them. How hard can it be? Yeah. Um, yeah. But it took us years. That's an interesting point and a good step to have taken. Yeah, well absolutely. You. you talked a little bit there about young people not seeing it as a mm. uh, as a career maybe that they go into. There was yeah. a great stat around 45% of people fell into fundraising, 45% moved from another career that they were mm. on, and then that leaves just 5% of, of kids growing up dreaming of being a fundraiser when they were young so yeah I, I mean I think that's true isn't it I mean I fell into fundraising did you fall into fundraising I moved from a different industry oh did you yeah you're so similar to me because I was in advertising but I think the point being that we have to improve the way that we welcome and excite and interest people into the profession in inverted commas and there were some quite strong feelings in the room weren't there about whether fundraising is a profession or not I very much see it as a profession but I think we do need to put some more in some cases put a little bit more structure around that to attract those who really want to come into something that is more they, they can see a clear progression and they know exactly where they're yeah. going to get to and the qualifications they've got to get. But I do still very much want to attract those who just want to do it because they feel passionately about it. So whilst I think there has to be those structures and we have to have clear entry level and, and potentially even better and more prevalent academic qualifications, I still want to be able to attract those who come from different backgrounds and different, different class, different colours, different shapes, different sizes, so that they don't feel put off. Yeah, and so that, that touches on a, another point that, that we've talked about before yeah. um, around how do we retain and look after staff. So not just around a diversity issue, but yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the turnover. Working. Particularly, you know, w with us yeah. working, you know, down in London, we see that turnover. Um, yeah, it's really you know, high. Really high, yeah. yeah. So how do we look after all of our staff? And that includes, yeah. you know, that diversity issue. Yeah, and I think somebody in the audience today, a, a woman, was talking about the fact that we have to enable people who want to embrace the workplace but do their work in a different way. We have to find ways to include that because if somebody has impaired mobility or, or any kind of disability or indeed any other kind of diverse characteristic, why on earth can't we try and accommodate that? Mm. And as I've said before, it's not 
it's not that difficult once you kind of put your mind to it. But I think in the room today, as you heard, there was some really interesting points being made about the fact that it's got to be clear leadership from the top. So you need your chief exec. And Hina was talking about that, wasn't she, on the panel? Clear leadership and, and role modeling at the top, but also a kind of groundswell of support. The more junior staff in organizations saying this is what we want and this is what we need so that there's a coming together from the staff and from the leadership as well. Yeah. I think that's important. Yeah. And you touched on another point that we've scribbled down here around role models. Yeah, um, yeah. So once people start doing that and, and you know, breaking through, then, then actually younger people see that and think, oh, actually, that is a viable career. Yeah. That is something that I could do. I can see myself, do, you know, people from my ethnic background do do that. Yeah. And Hina yeah. was saying, wasn't she, you need to be able to see yourself in an organization. You know, you need to see yourself, your characteristics reflected back at you in order to to want to go and work in an organization. Yeah. And that's probably one of the reasons why in charities like mine, I'm overstating this to make my point, but, you know, I, I keep recruiting white women. Now, I'm a white woman. I see a white woman. I go, oh, I recognize that. Mm. And bang, she gets a job. And yeah. I'm doing that unconsciously. And that, that has to change, you know. Yeah. I need training. Well, don't we all <laughs> on everything? Yes, but there was there was that. F- um, <coughs> I think Neil, our our, our blind uh, panel member, was talking about this. Yeah, there's a fear that somebody wouldn't give him a job because he thought they're going to fall down the stairs. Oh yeah, um, and it's not meant maliciously. And, of course, he and was that's that's the HR department, isn't it, from a health and safety perspective? <laughs> just going, oh the my HR goodness, team, the blind yeah. gentleman might fall down the stairs, yeah. and we're really really worried. And of course, Neil said, um, which was fantastic. He said, uh, "No, I know where the stairs are better than you do. You know, frankly, I am unlikely to fall <laughs> down the stairs." And of course, the other thing is that I don't spend all day staring out the window. Yes, very good. So yeah, fantastic, great guy. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about improvements that we could make yep. as well. Just people being aware of maybe their their own unconscious bias and mm-hmm. their own... Prejudices? That's quite a strong word, isn't yeah. it? Being, being aware of your prejudices and your biases are is, is one of the first steps to that. And I think I came from a place where I wasn't aware and I'm now more aware and I'm trying to do something about that. So inviting different people to come and speak, inviting... Um, just different people from across the organization from outside the organization different colors shapes and sizes because it changes the decision making yeah if you get a group of people who all look the same around the table you're going to make the same kind of decisions it's easy it's fun it's nice to do but you don't get the challenge groups made up of people who don't necessarily agree with each other often come oh, to, yeah. to better outcomes yeah so completely yeah. It might take yeah. a bit longer but you know sometimes it's much a much better outcome mm. yeah. finally before mm. i let you go to get ready for the, oh, awards, the awards this evening oh yeah you talked a little bit about the iof Yes, absolutely. So we have been working on a diversity and inclusion strategy, for want of a better word. We hope that the strategy, which will be fronted by a manifesto for change, will be ready in autumn of 2019. I think it's going to have a range of measures which will ultimately work towards fundraising being a much more diverse profession, which is recognized as such as being a profession which is open to all and which will ultimately improve the quality and quantity of different fundraisers that we get and, of course, the amount of money that we raise for the causes that we support. So, yeah, it should be a really exciting strategy. Excellent. All right, well, we look forward to seeing that. Thank you. And um, enjoy this evening. And you too. just caught up with Dan who's head of policy and external affairs at the IOF after a great session on scandals within the charity sector and I just wanted to re-record a point that you just made brilliantly. Okay well I think what we were talking about was has the impact of charity scandals uh, had an effect on people giving 
I think what we're seeing actually is that the vast majority of donors are still supporting charities. They're still continuing to give. And what we see, I think, in the public is that generally people, there's kind of three groups. There are people that will give to charities very, very loyal and committed to. There are people that will give sometimes and occasionally. And then there's a group who will never really give to charity. And I think some of the voices that we see quite prominently after these scandals are those voices of people that won't have ever given to you in the first place but kind of saying well this is why I don't give and you know nobody else should be giving because charities don't work properly so I think we maybe get a slightly distorted picture and we hear those that shout the loudest and we maybe underestimate those quiet and more loyal people that will continue to give to charities now and in the future so it's important to focus on the guys that already like us exactly yeah nice one thank you very much no problem We have one session left here in Glasgow after a presentation-packed couple of days. So a good chance for Danny and I to catch up with Gary Kernahan, the top man around this conference. He has been part of the organising committee. He's a consultant for Think. And if there is such a thing as a superstar fundraiser, then he is it. Now, my notes here say that he is a nominee for the Excellence Award. But... (laughs) Fundraising Excellence Award is an award for any fundraiser who, in the view of their peers has shown excellence and best practice over a number of years. The winner is, and it's my absolute pleasure to say this, Gary Kernan. Listeners will have just heard he's actually the winner of that prestigious award last night. It was a huge honour, James. I'm not quite sure I can live up to the expectations <laughs> that you've just set. I think we're going to dis- bitterly disappoint people. <laughs> That's what <laughs> we operate in. Don't worry. That's uh, that fun. <laughs> we're also joined by Sebastian Jenkins, Head of Community and Events at Beating Bowel Cancer. He's been doing some amazing work there with the merger. But more impressively, he landed from his honeymoon this morning. Barley to Heathrow, Heathrow to Glasgow. It must be a relief to be here. You know, James, thanks for having me. I wouldn't have missed it. <laughs> I mean, th- this is the conference to come to. And also, Gary threatened me that I had to be here. Ah. <laughs> So that trumps the threats from your wife that I presume you're receiving by text message at all times. I sent her some lovely text messages this morning, which she, which she hasn't read yet. But when she does, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she'll, she'll like them. Good to have you. We are also joined by Pauline from Conference Care, one of the key sponsors of this event. And really nice to have you. It's hopefully bringing a bit of a different angle to things. I'd be really interested to know what your sort of objectives and thoughts are as a, as a sponsor of an event like this. So Good, good, good afternoon. You. Thanks for having me. So I'm going to kick it off. My first question for you, and it's a big one, it is the question that has been on everyone's lips this morning. Where did you find the band that could play Kings of Leon songs on bagpipes? <laughs> that Sex on Fire brought the house down last night. Do you know, I've had a few folk not from Scotland that have said to me, I didn't know you could do that with bagpipes. <laughs> they were incredible, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, really, really good. So conference, how has it been for you in general? Gary, you were, you were talking about how you've, you lost your voice earlier. Yeah, two days of talking <laughs> non-stop, it feels like. It has been fantastic. And really, that the atmosphere throughout, it's felt like um, a really friendly conference where people have come along with the intention of learning and enjoying themselves. And I've often said the, the, the audience here from a speaker's point of view, because we've just not long finished doing a session here as well, they're one of the nicer audiences to engage with. People 
want to speak us to do well and they want to get involved. Not like that standoffish lot in London, right? <laughs> no, not as much of, right, come on, impress me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Pauline, how about for you? Yeah, I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. It's the first time that we've been involved as a sponsor for the event. So we've been involved as an organising agency and I've never actually experienced it firsthand. So I've spent the last two days in the community and events track sessions, which has just been so interesting, so diverse, and so many takeaways for everybody that's attended. There's a, a great, great feeling when the room sort of is half full and you're thinking oh gosh, oh, is, is it going to fill, is it going to fill? And then you're left with standing room only. Yes. And as you say, there's a real appetite for people to listen, to learn, and to really engage and, and, and ask lots and lots of questions. So, yeah, it's really been informative. Is that the thing that terrifies people when they're organising conferences, when you get kind of a, a room half full or a quarter full? It's not unheard of that people can organise an event like this. They can have a keynote speaker, they can have plenary sessions and, and track streams and so forth, and they can have lots of delegates registered and they can present to empty rooms. Mm. That That's not unheard of. I mean, it's happened to me many uh, times. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah Just um, a coincidence, James. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, to, to get that great buzz, even in the smaller sessions, um, is, is pretty amazing, quite yeah. outstanding. Yeah, it's been really nice. And uh, you talked about it being friendly. I think to start with, they bumped into a few people from England and we all kind of huddled together for support. <laughs> but actually, I've made some new friends, you know, mainly on the dance floor last night. But, you know, that was, that was all really good. How about favourite sessions? Pauline, we're probably going to have to say Seb's earlier because he's here. But that was a good one. It, it was great. The, the great thing for me is that they've all been so different in their style, the way that they've been presented, and just the look and feel of them. So my favourite today is definitely going to have to be Gary and Seb, because oh, you, we're in that session. We're in the presence of legends. That's how they announced themselves, wasn't it? Yeah. That was um, <laughs> to give credit to yesterday's sessions, we had a really great session from Nikki Bell, who had a completely different style, because the theme was Bruce Springsteen from start to finish, from his lyrics to the music. And there was so much interaction. I had Lego people being tweeted and just lots and lots of interaction with the audience and a real buzz around the room again. Yeah, she is a real rising star of the sector, isn't she? She is, mm-hmm. she is going places. During the session, James, I think you would have, you were there, but you would also appreciate the story being shared. I've been an avid listener to the Do More Good podcast since you launched it. So I know that you're keen in bars, and no, I'm pleased there's not a swear box on the table here right, yes, as yes. well. So I was delighted that you were able to come to the Scottish conference for that reason. But also during the session, despite having taught presentation skills workshops for many years, I made this mistake. I had a glass of water beside my laptop as I was presenting, and I and hit the glass over and immediately... You couldn't help the reaction. and yeah. I mean, it's good, that definitely goes down as not only one of my conference highlights from this one. Um, I think that will go down in history all as time. one of my, my all-time favourites. But you, you covered it up well. You were fine. You had the, the crowd on your side. Yeah, yeah, thankfully. Yeah, you had Seb swearing behind you, but you had, you know, everyone in front of you was on your side. Yeah. So I really enjoyed your session, actually, and it was about kind of my subject, which was events. But part of coming to, to conference, sometimes you go to sessions and it's quite reassuring. Like, oh, I am doing that and I have thought about that and I might not have put that in place yet or I might that could be a bit of a reminder for me. So I find it quite useful to go to things that I know about. But then I've also gone to sessions here and I scribbled down Virginia Anderson's and her session on small charities and what they need to put in place was fascinating. I found it really useful. And even as uh, we 
spoke to her earlier on in this episode, but there was loads of practical advice that I can take back. I've, so that one really stood out for me as well. And she's great. She was fantastic. She's a superstar. There was loads of great sessions. That, uh, Pauline talked about the diversity of, of different topics. Um, there was one uh, session that stood out for me from Edinburgh University. When Kerry Mackay's doing amazing work there. She ha- heard about something at conference a couple of years ago. It gave her an idea. She went on and did it. And now th- couple, three years later, I think, she's coming back to tell the story of how the idea at conference helped her. We had our... Our f- uh, colleagues from Sue Ryder, James, talking about the amazing capital appeal happening up in Aberdeen, yeah, as well, which has been great to hear that. Yeah, story. don't. Uh, yeah, I'll have to pretend I was at the back of that one, but I was, <laughs> I was furiously <laughs> scribbling notes for this. Um, and we also had a session which was literally giving people cash that came to it. Yes, so I have managed to pick up one of these envelopes, but this is a great idea. Yeah, the awesome fivers, so um, giving circle type of initiative and to encourage people to get into the spirit of it and to pass it on. Sarah, who was delivering the session, had envelopes with £5 notes in it and has given them out to the delegates that came to it where they asked that they now go on and do something nice with the money. Yeah, that was nice. And what people are then going to get in touch with whatever they've done and they can share that. Really good idea. And I like the idea of a journey as well, that people came here and were inspired and then have gone away and acted upon that and come back. If I could say uh, a quick point about Scottish Conference, you know, what I love is that it does cater for all size charities. Is that it's such a good quality of content for the sessions. If you're from one of the large organisations, the smaller charities, there's something for everyone. Mm. And that, you know, I've been coming here for the last four years, and that's definitely something which has been so consistent, you know, across those years. And, you know, one of the big takeaways for me has been the in between the sessions, you know, the people going down the stairs, you know, it's that buzz. It's obviously a good sign that the, that the quality is there. They're coming out excited because they have those tangible learnings that they can go and implement, um, you know, when they get back to their to their day job. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the, the key things that I find really uplifting about coming here. I think definitely what you're saying there is about people meeting other people. I think that's definitely, for me, has been the highlight of conference. Like the sessions, obviously, are fantastic. Mm. But just actually having all these fundraisers together in one place, that it's not necessarily just the sessions that you're learning from, but it is literally those conversations over a cup of coffee or the amazing sticky toffee pudding yesterday at lunchtime, <laughs> whatever it may be, getting that knowledge from each other. And then we're having those network grow. Yeah, these events are what you make of them, aren't they, Danielle? So you can come Definitely. along and you know be a reluctant person to be here or you can throw yourself into it and make the most of the opportunity and seek out people that are doing good stuff or people you, you know yeah it's it's like a unique environment i was chatting to one lady who's come um, whose charity is based in abbeymore and she's here on a bursary place and you know she'd taken away some of the ideas that other folks had done in terms of fundraising thoughts things that hadn't hadn't worked and just said you know these are great thoughts um i'm the only sole fundraiser within the organization so um they, w- they were happy to be shared happy to be taken on to somebody else so um, yeah really success it's you only have to look at the hashtag on twitter so the scott comfort team get the little plug in there but it was actually trending number one in glasgow and edinburgh yesterday which was fantastic and you can see on there people are sharing their stories and not just from the conference but the things that they're going to take away from it and also the stories that they've brought to conference with them that then they've been reminded of in sessions and things like that so i definitely say for anyone that hasn't been able to come to conference have a nosy through the hashtag you might see some of the awards photos as well which are quite entertaining like gary was explaining this to me earlier you you were up until two weren't you and then yes, there so were maybe some I photos from about night. F- <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good for you isn't it yeah but they, you know that went the hashtag went on until four i hear 
<laughs> Although we're, we're obviously we're in Glasgow, we're talking about the Scottish Conference, but it's probably worth noting that delegates do come from all over the place. We've got some delegates here from Portugal. We've got a speaker from Australia. The closing plenary has been delivered by a guy from Denmark. Uh, we had applications to speak from people from all across Europe and uh, Canada, North America. So it's you know the reach of the event is you know it's growing and more every year we seem to say it's the biggest one yet. And yeah, we we we, we, we were saying that in our in our intro that this was no. the biggest one yet. So yes. yeah. I I was told that the party was tamer this year than than normal. It's because you went home at two. Yeah, so <laughs> that's right, that's I think they were still right. dancing on the chairs though. So yeah. you know. <laughs> Good work. How about any kind of trends that you've noticed? And I think the reason they say that is, is you talk about people from coming from, from lots of different countries. There's definitely been, it's, it's been interesting that there's been sessions on diversity. That was mentioned in Amanda's opening. That's been interesting that that's been coming up a couple of times. Is there anything else that you've seen? There's a couple of things. Um, so, so uh, particularly here in Scotland, because we have so many sole fundraisers and um, an awful lot of small charities, charities with income of less than £50,000. So the amount of resource available for learning and development uh, is limited. So for a lot of the delegates here today, this will be the only paid-for investment opportunity that organisations might have. So really pleased we had more bursary and volunteer places this time round. So I think that's a key topic. So how, and we had a couple of sessions touching this, giving some advice on how people can drive their de- development forward. Relationships came across quite quite a number of times, and we had some really great sessions with top tips for so sort of bigger appeals because there does seem to be a number of capital appeals going on at the moment. Yeah, uh, well, certainly we our, our one was would have talked about that. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So those were some of the trends that, that stood out for me yeah. across the day. One of my favourites was the scandals presentation, which I thought was billed perfectly. I turned up to that one. But it was around confidence being back a little bit, that people felt like fundraisers were you know, walking a little bit taller. There hasn't been a scandal before this one. And they had some great stats around things like Oxfam and how 90% of their regular givers still donate. So their core supporters have stuck with them through that. And trust in charities has remained from through various surveys. So, and also GDPR having happened and kind of gone away a little bit for us. So we've all got things in place now, and, and we're not worrying about that. That probably a year ago, certainly at the London um, conference, that was the that was the you know fun hot topic at the party afterwards. Yeah, uh, there weren't so many dancing on chairs. It was more chatting about GDPR. We've got to learn from you lot. I think to quickly make a point about that, I think one of the the key things that a lot of us have spent a lot of time on is consistency. So it's, you know, that supported journey, that support experience, what supporters expect of us as, as charities and as fundraisers. We've just worked so hard on being consistent and actually delivering that great care and building that trust and loyalty. And uh, some of the sessions I went to you know, a couple of years ago at various conferences, you know, there's so much work has been done in the sector that hopefully that helps reduce some of those scandals and actually helps maintain those as regular givers because the trust and loyalty has been built up. That charity is their charity of choice for life. Yeah, yeah, that was a really good point. And also, I think you guys mentioned it as well, that we're not just competing competing with each other, but we're also competing with things like Netflix and, and, and our audience expects instant results and responses. So we've got to be able to do that. Yeah. And one of the things that came up in that, that Scandals presentation was around the actual impact has not necessarily been a drop in donations, but more time spent on governance policies and safeguarding policies and that sort of thing. Yeah, we, we were talking about scandals. Was probably I, I, I was working at the time where a lot of this was uh, first coming out. 
for a UK wide charity, spending a lot of time in England, and I would come back home, and I would talk to people, and they had no idea mm. about some of the things that w- seemed to be consuming a lot of attention south of the border. Yeah. And I mean, it could be a number of reasons for that. The Daily Mail circulation is not <laughs> as strong <laughs> in Scotland. Um, That's pretty much the only reason. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it helps enormously. <laughs> It's funny you say actually about standards and governance and everything. So I wasn't in the scandals session this morning because I was in a standards session, um, like the governance geek that I am. So there's a consultation at the moment on the fundraising code of practice and making that more accessible and all these kind of things. But that's very much doing things like that is making the standards and the governance and all things like that are actually filtering down to more fundraisers who probably didn't, maybe didn't even know they existed um, at one point. But now they're actually taking notice and taking these into consideration when they are doing their fundraising and that is then ultimately leading to less of these kind of scandals which is fantastic so things like the consultation I really really urge all fundraisers to have a look at it it's open till the 16th of November or just go on the fundraising regulator website and have a nosy one of the things I love when we have sessions that challenge people to think a little bit differently so I often think of like if you were running a corner shop who do you learn from? Do you learn from other corner shops or can you go and learn, get learnings from Tesco? So for the smaller charities here, uh, there's certainly things they can learn from and from the bigger organisations, but also looking outside. So we talked about the change, almost like the ecosystem that we work in. We've now become used to getting things quicker and getting things where we want it. So that has consequences. And it's not good enough that donors have to wait nine days for fundraising packs two weeks for thank you letters we need to be responding quicker the donors deserve it we think about charities moving into virtual events one could argue that you're not competing with other charities in that space you're actually competing with nike and actually if you're going to enter into that space can you provide the tech and the experience that people with these enormous budgets are because they see it as a way to extend their brand value and and build, yeah. fan, build their fan base which I would argue is what we're also looking at doing is building fans for our charities people that will support us in multiple touch points not just financially Yeah, and as Seb was saying everybody has been upping their game around that that we, we've all been more consistent about our messaging and getting that across to people and, and how we deliver it as well yeah we've had to well thank you very much cheers for your time if people want to catch up with you guys are you on Twitter LinkedIn yep. Instagram all the above? All of them. So I'm on Twitter at, at Gary Care. We are at Care Scott um, on Twitter. You'll find me on LinkedIn, Pauline Beatty. And yeah, definitely happy to connect. Great. You'll find me in London, just walking around. Come and say <laughs> hi. Um, <laughs> but yeah, also, also on LinkedIn, Twitter. My Twitter is Sebi underscore J. Yeah, and mine is at DannyGriff12. Or you can always get me through the IOF or the Scottish Fundraising Standards Panel. Obviously, all of you feature on the hashtag around, you know, three o'clock this morning. So (laughs) great stuff. We will put all of those details in the notes for this session and the details of the the bagpipes band on the website. So thank you. Thank you very much, James. Thank you. That leaves me with just a couple of thank yous. Virginia, Amanda, Dan, Emma, Phoebe, Jeremy, Darren, Pauline and Seb. Thanks for speaking. To Danielle for throwing yourself into co-presenting. Get it on your LinkedIn biography. And to Mr. Gary Kernahan, thank you for the invitation. A well-deserved award. Right, time to head home. You can get gin and tonics on the plane, right? Before you go, where could listeners go to hear a little bit more? Well, they could go to the website at domoregood.uk. 
Uh, if they want to see a bit behind the scenes, maybe? Instagram, do more good pod. Yeah? And if they've got big money advertising opportunities. Oh, well, there's only one place for that, isn't there? Uh, do more good pod on Twitter. Awesome.